Welcome to Peer to Peer, the podcast, brought to you by Rainer. Listen in as we hear from top surgeons having great conversations with their peers about hot and popular topics in ophthalmology. In this episode, host Gerd Alfarth is joined by Professor Martin Dirisama to discuss the do's and don'ts of implanting toric IOLs. Professor Gerd Alfarth is one of the world's leading intraocular lens experts. He is a chairman of the Department of Ophthalmology, Ruprecht Karls University of Heidelberg, and the head of the David J. Apple Center for Vision Research. Professor Martin Dirisama is a cataract surgery specialist at Dirisama Luftpriglinger Practice in Linz, Austria. He has achieved numerous awards for various lectures and posters and was recognised as one of the 40 most influential ophthalmologists worldwide by the Ophthalmologist magazine. Let's jump in. Hi, I'm your host, Professor Gerd Aufwart, and today we are speaking with Professor Martin Dirisammer about implanting toric IOLs, do's and don'ts. So it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, let us just talk about toric IOLs. And my first question would be, how can we identify patients for toric IOLs and what kind of measurements are important to identify these patients? Yeah, hello from my side as well. I'm very happy for this kind of invitation. Um, yes, toric IOLs, I think it's a big topic and it's getting more and more imp important. Um, so yeah, well, uh, who, who, is, who is suitable for toric IOLs or who needs toric IOLs? I think uh, we have to keep in mind that I think it's approximately 30% of all the cataract patients we deal with have more than one diopter corneal astigmatism. So they were suitable, they are suitable for toric IOL. So first of all, I think proper measurements and examinations are, are mandatory. To, to figure out which kind of astic medicine we have to deal with. So, and for toric IOLs, we have to figure out whether it's corneal astic medicine, of course. And for these, we do in daily routine, different kinds of measurements, so different devices. So it's kind of uh, yeah, a, a mix of, of different devices and technologies. So uh, of course, as everyone else probably do, we use an, an, an biometer. Um, but additionally, we also do topography or shine fluke or um, entry segment OCT based uh, measurements. And I think it's a good advice to use different devices, uh, devices and um, also repeat measurements uh, to get a, a very proper uh, measurement of uh, this uh, uh, amount of astic medicine. So do you have a preferred method? So the other way, what do you trust more, your uh, IOL master or your Pintacam? Neither to 100%. Okay. So uh, yeah, it's it's a very good question because I think there is some studies out uh, showing that uh, there's probably the IOL master has advantages, but there are also studies showing that Pentacom uh, shows probably the more... Um, precise measurements because also the posterior uh, part of the cornea is, is uh, taken into account. So, uh, well, I think it has to fit together and make sense. So if you have a, um, a measurement with the IOL master and a totally different axis in the pentacam, there is something wrong. And so either you have to repeat the measurements to another appointment. So what I usually do if the measurement does not really make sense. So Again, check the patient, uh, check the, uh, the cornea, probably it's a basement membrane dystrophy or something like that. 
um, we use uh, we 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 routinely uh, ask a patient to use uh, artificial eye drops for two or three weeks and then come back and then we check it again. So if you're not 100% sure that it makes sense uh, and the the axis uh, are approximately the same axis and the amount of astic medicine, you should not go for the toric eye well. So you mentioned uh, um, um, membrane disease, stuff like this. So dry and dry eye, I think it's also very important. Uh, what about contact lens wear? Uh, do you routinely tell the patient not to wear contact lenses or what do you do if the patient didn't know about that and comes to you and says, oh yeah, I had contact lens last weekend when I was somewhere? Yeah, probably the most important question if you want to to uh, put in toric IOL in patient uh, and check whether he used toric, uh, he used contact lens or not. Um, because it's very likely. So um, uh, for soft contact lens, we ask them to at least 10 days, better two weeks. And for hard contact lens, at least two weeks, better three weeks. And still then you could um, um, measure this, this kind of warp page, uh, uh, which some patients show. So, um, and again, if we are not 100% sure, just take your time, repeat the measurements, ask the patient to come back again, because... Um, a wrong calculated IOL or wrong um, placed IOL, toric IOL, could be very um, yeah, a pain for both sides. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, uh, 30% have more than one diopter of uh, astigmatism. So what would be the minimum correction you would uh, use for, for toric IOL calculation? I mean, not all companies offer a whole range of uh, uh, lenses, some, some even to uh, customize lenses, but most of the companies have like fixed uh, uh, amount of torus, toricity, like T1, 2, 3, 4, 5, whatever. So what is your uh, approach? So, so my personal approach is, um, I, it depends on the axis, of course, but um, um, one diopter roughly is, is where I at least um, look whether this toric toric IOL will bring some benefit for the patient. So if it's on a steep axis, you may do in, in the, 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 the cleocorneal incision on a steep axis and probably also opposite cleocorneal incision. But uh, on the flat axis, um, uh, I would go probably with uh, 0.75, something like that. Uh, yeah, and th that's a very good, very good um, uh, question because if you look to the manufacturer, they have probably quarter diopter steps. So the question is how how precise we 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 could be with a quarter diopter steps, and and even there, this is not always a quarter diopter because it's just in the range of a quarter diopter. So it could be even more or even less. So mm -hmm. um, customized, of course, would be the best, but. Uh, uh, has a lot of um, yeah administration and takes times and so on. So um, my question: Do we have uh, experience also with this quarter and half diopter steps? That it might uh, vary a little bit too much. Yeah, usually um, for routine stuff, we take T one, two, three, four from the appropriate companies and look what is what is closest to that. Uh, only in very selected cases, I do even customized uh, toric approaches where it's more or less like 0.1 uh, diopter. Uh, um, I have to say it depends on a lot of features. Uh, also, if it's a, just a monofocal lens or if it's a multifocal lens, 
uh, I would say maybe you agree that in multifocal or trifocal lenses, you may even go below uh, one diopter or a quarter, three quarters of a diopter to make sure that they don't have astigmatism other with a normal monofocal lens. It may be not that big of an issue if there is a little bit more. So yes, I have experience with that, but I rarely use also the customized ones because it's not so often that it's really necessary. Uh, I, I really have to say that. But uh, talking about that, what about you just mentioned the incision location? Uh, uh, how do you calculate your toric correction? Plus, you also go on the steep axis with the incision, or you just go from one one location, and then if you use a toric lens, you just uh, put it where it, where it belongs to. How how do you do that? The combination of incision location and toric correction. Yeah, uh, what I usually do is if it um, if we're talking about the steep axis. Mm -hmm. um, I go by 12 o'clock position and, and, and try to, 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 to make my uh, clear core incision steep axis. If it's not comfy for me, um, I, I go for a temporal approach and um, I put it into account into the calculations of the, of the toric uh, calculator. And um, yeah, of course, this is an issue no one really knows the the surgical induced astigmatism how much it really is in an individual case um, but i think this is at least in our hands the results are, are pretty okay and we are uh, pretty happy so far mm -hmm. and uh, the other thing is of course when you put the lens in how do you uh, do the marking or you're using surgical guidance systems so that is always a big question can we can we depend on the uh, surgical guidance system, or yeah. is the old ink uh, marking still the gold standard? Very very good question. I love it because uh, we we all have these fancy technologies in our ours and this guidance system, which is super super comfortable and easy in most of the cases. Um, if you're used to this workflow and all your coworkers and employees uh, are used and trained to that. It's it's super easy. And I think it's unbeatable. So it's uh, it's it's really easy to 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 use it. But um, in daily life, in reality, sometimes it, it's different. So it's a technical uh, device which could cause some problems, has some issues, does not work, software update, what else? And no one knows how to fix that in the moment. And so uh, I think you should be able to know how to do ink marking and should gain some experience and routine in, 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 in this um, because the studies are not so bad with this ink marking honestly so they perform pretty well so uh, we have depends where we do the surgery so we have in some uh, places we have ink marking in some places with the guidance systems and we do not uh, see the big big differences yeah, I can really relate to that. If we think about the success of the toric lenses started with the ink marking for more than 10 years, we only had that. I remember the first uh, multifocal toric lens, it was a Rayner lens implanted by me in 2006, uh, was just uh, uh, made with the uh, two ink marks uh, and it was there and it was, it was a success. So uh, I think it's not bad. And I had uh, just recently experience where I used the Callisto and the uh, conjunctiva were blown up almost like a like a balloon and then suddenly the system couldn't recognize the vessel structure and there was no no uh, marking anymore yeah? so even these technical uh, devices can uh, be fooled here 
Yeah, I, I fully agree. But on the other hand, I also have to say, since I use these devices, I, I rarely mark myself anymore. And I would say 95%, it works uh, very, very nice. Yeah, there are so, colleagues. If you can mind on that for a second, there are colleagues who do both. So yeah. they still mark and, and use the guidance system exactly for cases like you described. And uh, I have a short question. What, what kind of uh, marker do you prefer if you do ink marking or if when you did ink mark? Ink we, have, we have a, a pendular uh, marker uh, that, I, that I put in patient sitting up, uh, upright uh, uh, and you can make an impression. So the horizontal uh, line is, is marked then. So you and prefer to mark the horizontal line and then yeah, interoperatively, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. And then interoperatively I do the other stuff. So we have identified the patient, we have measured the cornea, we have calculated the IOL, we have marked it. Now we put the lens in. Uh, what do you think and how do you handle the, the, the problem of IOL rotation and what are your thoughts about current models in the, on the, uh, in the market? Yeah, I think, um, I think the surgery itself, it's not the, the, the big challenge. Um, you have to keep in mind some, some, some steps that you remove the viscoelastic properly, of course, then do the final rotation, align the axis. And yeah, and there are some, some, some differences. Of course, if you have a C-loop haptic, you only have you could only rotate in one direction yeah. uh, and have and, and if you're if you're not lucky you have to go for almost 360 degree uh, in plate haptics you could probably rotate in both directions which could save some time sometimes um, yeah in, in in my hands I always had the feeling that uh, probably plate haptics provide more stability so this is just a personal feeling uh, and um, data does not really confirm this feeling. So do you have more experience with uh, rotational stability in C-loop haptics or plate haptics or what is the, what is the material about? So how important is that? I think, I think uh, you touch a really sensitive point because I think it's a combination of material uh, design uh, size of the eye and the size of the capsular bag uh, and so on. So a couple of things come together and uh, uh, plate haptic lenses like the Zeiss lenses, for example, are very easy to handle. And if you use them on routine base, you get very, very nice results. I occasionally have a patient where uh, I have the feeling the capsular bag is too big and it starts like propellering. So I, I, I'm hesitant at putting it in high myopics, uh, a patient. Uh, um, the C-loop are better there, I have to say, because they, they are larger. Mm. But then you also have some issues with them. Some of the uh, hydrophobic acrylic lens are sticky and really adhere where they have to be. But if they rotate in the first uh, couple of uh, hours and then you do the rotation later, you can also have a, a problem because they are too sticky. So uh, I, I would say that most lenses which are on the market uh, have have a pretty good performance and you always have this significant five percent of patients where you can be in trouble and then it doesn't matter which kind of lens it is uh, um, i wouldn't really say that there's one lens which is better i mean we have lenses with special features if you look at the, the rainer lens the rainer toric lens has a, a closed loop haptic which is uh, uh, as a specific design that prevents it from rotation and also from shrinkage when you have a uh, capsule contraction due to, to fibrosis, which is quite quite important. Yeah, 
some of the uh, C-loop types uh, have been improved with frosted edges so that they don't move anymore. Like J&J has improved their uh, lens after a sh study showed that they have some more rotation than the Arcrisoft and so on. So th there's mm -hmm. always a little fine tuning and fighting, but uh, most of the time it more depends on you have left some viscoelastic behind it. Uh, something happens in the mm -hmm. first day or the first hours and then next day you are off. Yeah? It is very, very rarely that due to the design of the optic that like five, six weeks later, you have an issue. So the most important thing I think is during the surgery and the first day. What, what do you think about the approach some some colleagues do that they uh, put in every toric IOL prior, they put a capsule tension ring. So if they use toric IOLs, they always use a capsule ten tension ring. What do you think about that? Does it make sense? Uh, it doesn't really make directly sense. It gives, of course, the capsular bag a certain stability. Yeah, uh, but it has actually not really shown only in very small sample sizes. I saw some studies where they showed some little advantages, but uh, I've never seen a convincing study that this this has an impact really. Yeah. Okay, we can save that but, money uh, at least. I, I I would put an implant only in an eye if I really know it has an has an advantage, and not just for whatever. Yeah. 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 I, maybe I maybe if you have a shaky capsular bag in a, in a high myopic patient, it can straighten things out. It's okay, but not everyone. Yeah. So it's it's a debatable question. So I think we've spent uh, quite a bit of time now, but we could only touch uh, 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 some of the stuff. I think toric lenses is a is a topic we can talk for hours about, uh, uh, and for each each topic. But I think you would agree that uh, um, let's say as a final word, toric. IOLs have been generally accepted and are really a success story. And uh, I think this is one of the most implanted special lenses that we have uh, uh, compared to the portfolio that is offered nowadays for our patients. Absolutely. And and uh, my approach is so the more the more complex the optics get, so multifocal, either whatever, the more is residual astic medicine the enemy number one. So, and I think this is why we should all uh, go for Toric uh, when it really makes sense. Very good. I think that's a great uh, last word and summarized everything very nicely. And I thank you very much. And I also thank Reina for giving us the opportunity to help this podcast here. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Join us for the next episode of Peer to Peer, the podcast where host Professor Gerd Alfarth will explore biometry with internationally renowned expert, Dr. Nino Hernschel. For more information about this episode's topic and to read the show notes, visit the Peer-to-Peer -peer hub at reina.com forward slash peer-to-peer. This podcast is provided for general information purposes only. The presenter's views are their own. Rayner does not endorse off-label use. Users must refer to the product labelling and instructions for use for Rayner products in all cases. Not all Rayner products are available in all countries. The full disclaimer can be found in the show notes.